Well, good morning. Welcome to Lloyd Community Church. Please stand and enter into worship together. Oh, Lord. 
eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, cause I want to see of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart, cause I want to see cause I want to see to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love as we
You may be seated. Our Father, we praise you as holiness. You are just and merciful. With so much changing, thank you that your character never changes and your word never changes. Thank you for this gift you've given us of prayer, that we can approach you with our praise and thanks and confession of sin with every need and with every concern. And your power is poured out in response. You are the savior and the author of our faith. We lift you our loved ones who don't yet know you. Please reunite our families and loved ones around your throne. You are the God of all comfort, and we lift to you those in our church family who are suffering or mourning. You are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. You promise us in your word that you even increase the strength of our souls. So we lift to you, Pastor Steve, and all those who teach and minister in your name by word or music or acts of service. Strengthen their souls, encourage them, protect and guide them, and thank you for them. For all those impacted by the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, survivors and helpers, please pour out your mercy and provision and salvation. You sent Jesus to pay for our sin, so we have peace with you. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, welcome to La Jolla Community Church. As you arrived, you should have received a Connect card and a prayer card. If you have updated information or if you are new to the church and have not yet submitted information so we can get a hold of you, please fill out the Connect card and you can drop it off in the foyer. As well as, if you have anything in need for yourself, family member, friend, someone that needs prayer in your life, please do fill out the prayer card. Leave that in the foyer as well. And our team will pray for you for those needs. And without further ado, I'd like to welcome up uh, guest Pastor Scott Schimmel for the message in the morning. Thank you. Good morning. Last time I was here, I got up too early, so this time I want to be a little late, just in case. Uh, it's good to be here with you. Happy Super Bowl Sunday, everybody. Anybody raise your hand if you're going to a Super Bowl party this afternoon or hosting one? Okay. More like me. I don't want to watch it with anybody but myself. <laughs> uh, I, you, you've probably, if you've ever heard me speak before, I, I like to brag about this a lot. I went to the Super Bowl once 15 years ago, and I was just reminiscing with my friend who took me. He got free tickets from his dad, and his dad was being given tickets as a CEO of a big company to be wined and dined over this entire weekend at the Super Bowl. It's, it was at the same place that it's being held today. And so my buddy Nick and I, we drove out and got there Friday night and really had no details besides meet these guys from this company at this place at a certain time. So we, we did, we met them, and it became very apparent within a, like a couple minutes that the guys who had the tickets and were hosting us thought that we were with the company. And we weren't. And the entire weekend, we had to, it felt like we had to pretend that we belonged there and pretend that we represented the company because we did not yet have the tickets in our hands. So they had planned out really 48 hours of whining and dining corporate events. And my friend Nick would call his dad and say, Dad, they think we're from the company. And, and uh, Nick's dad would say, so what? Uh, go along with whatever they say. 
represent the company, just a very laissez-faire attitude, which made us all the more nervous. And as awesome as that weekend was, especially when we went to the game, we were talking about how exhausting the 48 hours was to pretend like we belonged there, to pretend like we were someone that we weren't. Uh, there was uh, probably my favorite story of football this season was the quarterback, ended up to be the quarterback of the 49ers, a kid named Brock Purdy. And I've been a 49ers fan. I was a child of the 80s, so I've always loved the 49ers and Joe Montana all that. So I've, I've followed them and followed the team. And Brock Purdy wasn't supposed to be the quarterback. He wasn't even supposed to be the backup quarterback, but the two guys in front of him got injured throughout the season. And so Brock Purdy was given the ball almost halfway through the season, and they called him in football Mr. Irrelevant because he was the last picked guy of the draft last year. So all the teams picked all the players, lots and lots and lots and lots of players, and there was still somebody sitting there. It reminds me of the old days when I used to coach Little League. I'm like, I guess we'll take that kid. I mean, no one else to take him. I guess we'll take him. That was Brock Purdy. Nobody, it was kind of like the, the Tom Brady story from him be, being drafted, like no arm strength, no speed, no talent, but he's here, and so we've got to take him, so we'll just take him this year. Mr. Irrelevant. And he was given the ball halfway through the season of this pretty phenomenal football team, and he not only did well, he shined. And now the, the rumors are, maybe Brock Purdy, up above the two guys ahead of him, maybe he's going to get the ball next season. And the phrase that was used, maybe you've heard this in sports before, Brock Purdy acted like he'd been there before. That's a phrase, like act, you know, if you, if you haven't, you kind of act like you've been there before. Don't act like you're a fish out of water. And it reminds me a little bit of that old phrase, fake it till you make it. Act like you've been there before. Reminds me of this thing called, sociologists have this term called the lifeboat construct. And it's this idea that uh, the, the whole premise is, you're on a boat, and the ship is going down, and so all of you have to get into this lifeboat, but the lifeboat can't sustain all of you. So you actually have to go around in the circle and describe why you deserve to survive and be on the lifeboat for as long as it's going to take before you get rescued. And so everybody goes around and says, well, you know, I've got skills, I've got talents, I've got strength, I can fish, I can... And the whole idea of this, of this from the sociology perspective is that's what life is like quite often, especially high school. Do you remember that? Do you remember high school where you actually had to project something about yourself so that other people would see that and think, well, yeah, he's cool, she's cool, she's with it, he's got it. That whole experience of just waking up in the morning and you look at your hair, your face, and you're like, I don't got it today. What am I going to do to kind of camouflage, to hide, to make sure that nobody else sees these flaws? And it was an agonizing experience for most of us. As a dad of two teenagers now, I get to watch that experience. I mean, we just, as parents, back up when you know they're in that vibe where they don't feel like what the image they're projecting is going to be acceptable that day. It's exhausting. It's terrible. We're going to talk about that as we look at, in this series, the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to give you a little context. I'm, Steve asked me to speak on one particular short sentence. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> and yet, I mean, I, I am, I'm a Bible nerd, and, uh, and this week, as I prepared for this, I haven't done a real deep dive as much as I did this week in years. There is so much richness in these very few words in this very short sentence. And I think it's relevant to me, and I know for sure it's going to be relevant 
for you. The context of the Sermon on the Mount, it's this long sermon, this long talk that Jesus gives. And it's, it's in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, where we're going to look. It's also covered a little bit in the Gospel of Luke. And the setting is Jesus is up on a, a mountainside. And is, his walking up the mountainside is in response to what the Bible says, multitudes are coming to him. And it lists, right before the passage we're going to look at, lists all the different places that these people are coming to see Jesus, to to interact with him, to figure out who he is and what he's saying. And if you're a Jewish person, which Matthew wrote the story about Jesus to a Jewish crowd, when you read that Jesus went up on a mountainside, you would know as a Jewish person, and I don't assume you guys were all raised in ancient Israel, you, uh, you would know that like ding, 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 only significant, gigantic, huge things happen on mountainsides in their story. Mountains are a really rich symbol. Moses went up on the mountain to receive the, the kind of two tablets, the Ten Commandments. That is where he interacted and saw God face to face. It was given the laws to uh, live by, to the covenant between Israel and God. The temple where God was, was up on a mountain. Jerusalem, everybody knew, was uh, geographically, it was the highest point in all the region. They would sing songs about going up the mountain to go visit and see God in the temple. So Jesus has all these people coming to him, Jewish people and Gentiles, and Jesus himself, as he's now interacting with and acting like a prophet of the old times, he goes up on the mountainside to say a new thing. So again, ding, 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 something significant is happening. And the passage that we're going to look at, the very short uh, little message he has in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, he says, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the translation, that's what we're going to get into, some of the richness of those words. Blessed would mean, uh, I mean, blessed day, bless you. We kind of have that as a part of our vocabulary, or it's a familiar word. But the translation for this part is particularly, it's almost like happy or lucky are they. Happy. Happy are they who... Uh, Lucky are they who, and Jesus has a list of them. There's actually nine of these different phrases and sayings. And the first four that that I I imagine Steve has covered, I wasn't listening or watching, sorry Steve, if you're listening later, (laughs) I will someday. Uh, The first four that that have been covered that you walk through are kind of known as the reversals. So there are situations that people are in that actually aren't, you wouldn't ever say they're blessed, happy, or lucky situations. But Jesus is saying to those people, now that my presence is here and, and the kingdom is available to everybody, even those people who are dealing with these kinds of things, being poor in spirit, being a peacemaker, even those kinds of things, they're reversed now. You felt like you're far off. You felt like maybe you're even cursed. You certainly don't feel like you're in God's favor. But he's saying now it's flipped. Those are the first four. The, the second four and really the, uh, up until the ninth, uh, the ninth one, uh, it's more about describing the type of people who. And so we're looking at this, people who are pure in heart. And that phrase, again, speaking to Jewish people, 
who sing songs. Remember, there's no TV, there's no Netflix, there's no Pandora, there's, there's no media. Their uh, gathering together would have often been around celebrations. They had over seven of them every single year. They would have been singing these songs over and over and over again. And this phrase, pure in heart, would have reminded them. The idea of seeing God up on a mountain would have reminded them of this Psalm, Psalm 24. A psalm that was considered a psalm of ascent. Not ascent like mental ascent, like I agree with you, but ascent like going up somewhere. There were different psalms that were sung regularly as families would travel up the mountain to the temple for the regular rituals, for the celebrations throughout the year. They would sing these songs as they're in transit. Remember, they're not in cars. They're going slow. They're walking, and they're singing songs together as families and as families of families singing these songs. And one of the most significant ones was Psalm 24. And it said this. I don't know how to sing it. I don't know the tune that they had. But it said this. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies, they will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God their Savior. Such people, remember the pure in heart, the pure in hands, such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. So who may go and see God? That's the song that they're singing. Who can go and see God? Well, the, the pure in heart can go and see God. They are worthy of being able to go and see God. And really what they're trying to wrestle with is this universal, timeless question. Not only is who is God, but who and how do we interact with him? How do we get into his presence? The deep longing of everyone's heart, no matter what culture, nationality, uh, or religion, no matter who you are, the deep parts of our hearts, how do we interact with the divine? How do we approach him? How do we pursue him? How do we experience more of God? That's the question that's being answered in a few short words in Matthew 5, 8. So what does that mean? Let's pray. Let's ask God. God, as we look at your scripture and hear your stories and hear your words, I pray that you would help us to see how this relates to us. God, we, all of us, want to be in your presence. We want more of you. And yet, it's often confusing or complex to know how to get that, to know how to get more from you, or to be in your presence, or to see you. So help us to figure out what that means. Help us to figure out what it looks like to see you. We pray this in your name. Amen. I mentioned having a couple teenagers in my house and that idea of high school is a lot of like that lifeboat. You're trying to pretend, you're trying to project, you're trying to figure out who you are. Professionally, I work with teenagers and teach parents and, and educators how to work with teens. And so much of the focus on teenagers is oftentimes uh, a couple things. One, it's either about academics. How do we help them be successful academically? So that, and the theory would be so that they can get to you know, college, and then if they get there, then they'll be employable, and they get off our payroll. And that, obviously, that's a very important issue. The other part, typically for teenagers, is more around their safety. Like, how do we prevent them from making poor choices, whether it's substance use or sex or whatever? Like, how do we kind of make sure that their moral compass is an internal one so that the choices they make can help them survive and thrive? And if you take away a couple of those from a parent or an educator, like they're not safe or they're not equipped to live life on their own, those are terrible things. 
But what we go and do is say there's actually something else that's happening that kind of, to a kid's perspective, supersedes both of those. They're not necessarily concerned with employment when they're 14 or 15. And they're certainly not uh, appreciative of the need to be safe. It's just not a part of who they are. Their lack of impulse control and trying to be accepted by friends, it's just not a part of the equation. What they are trying to do from their standpoint, and they don't know this, subconscious, what they're trying to do is figure out who they are. It's, uh, the fancy term would be identity formation. I'm trying to figure out who I am. It's like the uh, uh, are you my mother story. Like I'm trying to figure out, are you my mother? The little chick that was hatched and the mom was gone. Are you my mother? In other words, can you tell me who I am? Who do I belong to? How do I be here? What's most important? What do I do next? All those questions are live during the teenage years. And most of the time, we're not having those conversations with them. We're talking about do good in school, don't do drugs, stay safe, don't drive so fast. And we're missing the opportunity to help them construct an identity because if you aren't sure who you are, the rest of life is going to be tricky. When you don't know who you are and how you fit and how to live here, you spend probably the rest of your life trying to make it up. And you see people, maybe you know this, maybe you know some people, don't nudge them like physically here, but maybe you know some people that are of adult age, but they haven't resolved some adult questions yet. Do you know anybody that's like, you know, well into their age and life, and they have roles that they play that are adult roles? They have a job, they have a career, they have a family, and yet you can just tell they haven't resolved things about who they are yet. And they're still either projecting or protecting their identity. They're still trying to make up something about who they are. They're still trying to grasp for something. The big three that psychologists, sociologists, and, and theologians have said over the years, the three big buckets that people typically try to use to make something of themselves is number one, and we see it in Jesus' temptations in the desert right after he's baptized. Fix your own life. Do something that can improve your own situation. In other words, take charge of yourself. Self-sufficiency. Take charge of yourself. Fix your own problems. I am someone who fixes my own problems. I don't need anybody else. I know what I'm doing. Back off. Does that remind you of a teenager? I know what I'm doing. Back off. And you're sitting there. You're like, the last thing you know is what you're doing. I try to (laughs) tell that to my son about every day. The last thing you know what you're doing is what you're doing. You just don't understand yet. Uh, Jesus was tempted, or tried to be tempted, by the devil in the, in the story of him being tempted in the desert. Uh, after 40 days of not eating, the devil comes and says, hey, turn this stone into bread. If you are who you say you are, you could do that, and you can fix your own situation. You can improve your life. You could do something to fix your life. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not how I'm going to build my life. The second one The devil takes him and helps him see all the kingdoms of the world and says, you could be in charge of all of this. You could have all the power. You could have all the control. You could be in charge of everything right now if you worship me. And that's almost the same thing that we hear from teenagers. I just want to be in charge. Have you ever been in a battle with a teenager about being in charge of where they go and what they do? If you just remove that, there's almost no friction at all with a teenager. I want to be in charge. I want to be in control. I want to organize and ordain everything that I do. I do not like when people take that away from me. I I can't stand when somebody infringes upon what I want to do. I want to build a life by being in charge. The third one 
the devil takes Jesus up onto the top of the temple, which is, if you remember, it's the highest hill and the tallest building. And he says, if you are who you say you are, then jump off. Literally, just jump off the top of this building in front of everybody, in front of the biggest city and, and, the, and the tallest building. And what will happen when you jump off, because you're so special and you're with God, God will send his angels in front of everybody and rescue you. And then everybody will be in awe of you and worship you. And Jesus says, that is not why I'm here. I'm not going to do that. You see these three buckets. If you could just fix your own life and solve your own problems, if you could just be in charge and organize everything and have all the power and control, if you could just get people to think really well of you, to be, uh, to, to be impressed by you, and to have all the affection of people, if you can just get reputation, if you can just get power, if you can just get control, if you could just be safe and secure, then your life will be well lived. And we hear those echoes in that Psalm 24. Who can stand in his holy place? Who can go up and see God? It's people, it's people who do not worship idols. It's people that don't try to fix their own lives. It's people that are pure in heart. Blessed are they who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart can be a bit of a misnomer, I think, for us, for me. I think a pure in heart is somebody who's morally pure. Just pure in heart. Well, we know from other parts of the Bible, no one is pure in heart in that perspective. There's nobody, uh, nobody, everybody does wrong. There's no one who does good. That's what the Bible says over and over and over again. There's nobody that's truly pure in heart. Even if you see like a little toddler and you're like, I love watching these little videos of toddlers who were lying through their teeth about that, oh, I didn't have chocolate, there's chocolate over their face. Like there is nobody who is pure in heart from a moral standpoint. And he's not talking about that here. What he's talking about in the words that he's using and why it harkens back to Psalm 24, remember I nerded out this week, it's a singleness of heart. Uh, Purity is more like if you think of purity in, 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 in like metals. There's no other ingredient. There's nothing else seeping in there to make it impure. The heart is singularly focused on building a life on who God says he or she is. That's somebody who is pure in heart. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in, uh, uh, in chapter 6, he's talking about money. And it's another familiar phrase that you've probably heard before. And if you're not a Bible person, you've heard some of this stuff before. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moth, uh, moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Don't build your life that way. Store, instead, your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And then he says this, and this is, so we typically all, you know, for me, I've always focused on, like, the treasures and trust and put your treasures in heaven. But the next part is where Jesus gets even further and says, your eye, remember, eye is seen, see God. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light to your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And the light you think you have is actually darkness and how deep that darkness is. And here Jesus qualifies even further. No one can serve two masters. You can't have two masters. You cannot be double-minded. You can't have a heart that's divided. For you will either hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. And you can 
interject money, you can't serve God and be trying to get people's affection and admiration. You can't serve God and try to be in charge and control all the time. You can't serve God and also and, uh, uh, be, uh, be able to fix your life and, and always be looking for safety and security. That's not how you see God. You see God by putting him first. Happy are they, lucky are they, who are pure in heart who recognize throughout the years of their life that they cannot try to build their life and save their life and rescue their life and make something of themselves by anything except for God's presence. And this is where we get into how it all relates to you and me. There's a guy named Nicodemus who in John chapter 3 goes to Jesus and, and asks the question, embedded in the questions that he's asking are the same questions answered in this one story in that Psalm 24. How do I see God? And Jesus responds by saying, well, you, you know, you can't unless you're born again. You can't unless you're born again. But if you're born again, you will see God. Only and unless you're born again will you see him. If you're not born again, you can't. And Nicodemus is a little bit confounded and confused. I don't quite understand what that means and, and, and yet walks away with this uh, seed of truth There's no alternative route for you to go down to see God. It's only through me. The Bible talks uh, often about this idea of confession. And I think uh, whether you were raised in a tradition that had that as a part of the the, uh, experience of being in that religion like, like Catholic Church, the idea of confession often harkens back to that similar way of purity and morality, doesn't it? It's like, oops, I, I blew it. I did something immoral, I did something wrong or naughty, I need to go confess. And certainly that's, there's uh, catharsis there, there's, uh, there's, there's freedom that can come from that. Uh, the biblical notion of confession that sits above that idea, though, is this idea of getting honest with yourself. It's saying the truth about your life. Confession is just naming reality for what it is. Uh, the idea that we would, in our own work in our hearts, Name reality about the ways in which we've been trying to fix our own life and build our own life and save and rescue our own life. The ways in which we've been going about trying to find peace internally, trying to make sense of ourselves that have not been towards God alone. We've been trying to build a career. We've been trying to get people to be impressed by us. We've been trying to prove them wrong. We've been trying to uh, have enough in the bank account, have enough safety and security. We've been trying to do these things, and it wasn't until we got those. We knew that there's kind of a form. If I can just get that and then just get there, then I will have a life. Then I will have peace. Then then people will, I could feel satisfied finally. And if we're honest, the, the path to see God is to become pure in heart, is to become Uh, aware, first of all, that we've strayed, that we haven't looked to God alone to fill our hearts, to fill our souls, meet our needs. We've been doing it on our own. That's confession. And so as we wrap up with this, I want to invite you to get honest with yourself. What are the ways in which you choose, maybe over the pattern of your life, or maybe recently, to not trust in God's word and not trust in God's presence or his promises. You've been trying to see God in other ways. You've been trying to get something by, by trying harder, getting more, having more, and it's turned you into someone that's more anxious 
and more stressed out, uh, more easy to react, uh, more difficult and prickly to be around. And God has an invitation for you. You want to see God? First, be aware of how your heart is divided and then share that with me. And as you do, you will see me. So Lord, uh, we want more of you. We recognize that trying to fix our lives or, or find you in other ways doesn't do it. And some of us are uh, uh, so taxed with the burden of trying to fix ourselves or prove somebody wrong or get some more. And it's exhausting. And it's led us to anxiety and stress and anger and bitterness and regret. And we can easily feel overwhelmed, God, when we don't trust you. And I pray that you would help by your spirit to help us to just uh, understand what our own idols are. To help us to see how we're trying to build our life on our own. And have the courage to name the truth. God, I've turned to people's uh, uh, opinions of me. I've turned to trying to get more safety and security on my own. I've turned to trying to be in charge more. I've turned to uh, trying to build something to get something out of life. And I know yet uh, that in this moment that what my heart truly longs for is, is you, you alone. So, Confess that, and I ask you to help my heart be single-minded. Help me to see you and to see everything else for what it is. Nothing. A distraction, a temptation, something that will lead me to destruction. You alone, Lord, it is through you that we can encounter and experience the kingdom where what you want happens, who you are is accessible to every one of us. So help us. Help us to have a, a single focus on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you laid down your life that i would be set you've done for me who brings our chaos back into order who makes the orphan a son and daughter the king of glory the king of glory who rules the nations with truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you your life that I would be set free oh Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy is the king who conquered the grave Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you lay down your life that I would be set free oh Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me Okay, confession, I forgot to pray for the offering, but I didn't forget this. You're all invited to hang out afterwards for conversation and connection, and someone mentioned that there's a birthday in the house. 
Drake. It's Drake's birthday. So there's cake right next door. Cake for Drake. <laughs> uh, one of the cool things about our own willingness to confess that our hearts have been divided and become pure in heart is not only that we will see God, but that others will see God in us. And so if you're not convinced that you need to see more God, I guarantee you that people in your life need to see God through you. So may God the Father bless you with wisdom. May God the Son reveal to you and show you how much he loves you and is available to you now. And may God the Spirit help you be more loving, more patient, and more kind. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain.